Well, here's some breaking news. Josh Hamilton's hurt. We'll talk about that and more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 4th. It's show number six of the 2016 fantasy baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday show for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at John Lester versus Garrett Cole, and plenty of sleepers. And from the American League, it's Jock Thompson, looking at Ian Desmond in the Texas outfield, Cameron Mabin out of the Detroit outfield, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Cleveland outfield prospect Bradley Zimmer. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at the battle for Cleveland's fifth rotation spot and takes a scan of Pittsburgh's first base situation. In our frequent flyers commentary, Alex Becky looks at Cincinnati catcher Devin Mazzaracco and Texas right-handed pitcher Connor Sadzik. In our preseason forecaster position profile segment, Greg Fishwick looks at National League outfielders and in Master Notes, I'll be talking about fantasy strategies. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The games are rolling in earnest. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday edition, our League Watch News reports, Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League and leading off it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here, especially this time of year as we get ready for the season. Yeah, the games have started. I actually watched a few innings the other night of a Boston Red Sox game. Before we talk about anything else, I thought it was kind of weird that uh, Don Orsillo wasn't calling the play-by-play for the Red Sox anymore. Jerry Remy's still there, but uh, I miss Don Orsillo's voice. Yeah, you do, don't you? When you, when you have an announcer, announcer like that that's, uh, that's no longer there, you, you do indeed miss them. Let's kick off with a bit of a uh, player-versus-player a question, Matt Cederholm in the Market Pulse column was looking at some starting pitchers and he uh, had an interesting item about John Lester versus Garrett Cole and who do you think is the best pick? And I have to say, Nick, I was a little surprised with Matt's conclusion. Uh, you know, I, was, I was too, but, but it's, uh, it's worth looking at. And you know, if you look at Ron Chandler's new Babs, uh, Babs way of looking at things, you, you begin looking at players and saying, are these the same guy, you know? And you look at John Lester and Garrett Cole and what you find as you look at them in terms of their stats, both last year and the projected stats this year, these are the same player. I mean, look back at, look back at stats with Jared Cole and John Lester from just a year ago. What you get is uh, Lester 3.13 ERA, Cole 3.16 ERA, I'm sorry, XERA, 3.13 for Cole, for Lester, 3.16 for Cole. Command 4.4 for Lester, 4.6 for Cole. BPV 135, 132. So these are really the same player. They were at least a year ago. Um, but the differences you find in terms of, uh, as you look at their, at, at how they might be different, is Lester's a lot more reliable than Cole is. Uh, better injury history, more likely to stay healthy. Um, and, and the other thing you look at is the offense behind Lester on paper is a lot stronger than the offense behind Cole. But in the marketplace, Cole is going for 30 full spots higher than John Lester. 
So those are the kind of things that it's worth taking a look at at this time of year and that Market Pulse does look at and look at players who are clearly being undervalued in the market. I think that is the advantage that Lester has over Cole, and the the reason I was a bit surprised by the conclusion in a in a vacuum is that I think Cole is a better get for this reason. I think that uh, when you're looking at past that kind of first or second round, you're starting to be chasing after upside and potential, and I think I think we know what what uh, Lester's ceiling is. And we know what Cole's floor is. And when I'm getting down to my fourth, fifth rounds, I'm starting to look for a pitcher who has a floor but a higher ceiling. And I think Cole is that guy because he's younger. And the one fact that really jumps out at me, Nick, when I look at these two guys is fastball velocity. In the last few years, John Lester been around 92, 93, somewhere around there. And uh, Garrett Cole, 96, 96, 96. And that's a that's a really big difference. I mean, people don't think four miles an hour is that big of a difference, and it isn't in numbers. But boy, I think it sure is in effect. It is indeed. I think you're right, and and certainly Cole has more upside than uh, than Lester. And if I were drafting in a dynasty league, I would certainly want Cole over Lester. But the other the other thing to to look at is uh, there's a breakout coming for Cole, but will it come this year? And at this point, I don't know that we see anything in the numbers that say this is his breakout year. Um, you know, so it's it's one of those balances. If you get Cole dropping low enough, I think sure you're in good shape. Uh, if Cole's going in the first three rounds, probably not. I think that's a, a a perfect way of putting it. I think the analysis depends entirely on the cost, especially if you're playing uh, with an eye on winning a title or competing for a title this year. Because uh, when we look at the projections, you mentioned some of the looking backwards kind of stats, but looking forward kind of stats, uh, these two guys, again, look very, very similar. Uh, Cole has a slight edge in ERA. Uh, Lester has a slight edge in whip. They're both around $20 pitchers. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's an advantage to Lester in the strikeout, in overall strikeouts. And you mentioned, of course, he's pitching for a much better ball club and uh, therefore figures to get uh, probably going to get more wins. We have him, actually, we have Cole at 17 to 15 for uh, Lester, but you have to believe that maybe if you're a betting man, you might be more tempted to go with Lester. I, I appreciate the analysis. In the long run, I think I'd rather have Cole, but I see how this works. Very definitely. Nick, this week at BaseballHQ.com in the skills columns, it's Sleepers Week. Our bullpen buyer's guide, batter's buyer's guide, and starting pitcher buyer's guide, all looking at sleepers. Uh, Stephen Nickrand, of course, we talk about Stephen's work a lot here at Baseball HQ Radio. In his starting pitcher's buyer's guide, Stephen Nickrand looks at San Diego right-hander Tyson Ross. Now, Tyson Ross is one of those interesting guys that, uh, that, that if you looked at what he did a year ago, 2015, might have been a little bit of a disappointment because in 2014, a 2.81 ERA, a 1.21 whip, this guy looked on the verge of really having a big breakout. And then last year, some slippage, down to slip to a 3.26 ERA, uh, whip to 1.31. You begin to think, oh, maybe this guy isn't as good as I thought he was. But, but Stephen Nickran suggests that in terms of his skills, and in terms of what he could produce, Ty Ross is definitely a sleeper. And a lot of people are looking at those uh, last season's ERA and suggesting that, uh, that, that, that we may have seen the best of Ty Ross. But his skills actually improved a year ago. Uh, we're, we're up a bit. Uh, his ground ball rate surged for four consecutive years. More ground balls. Um, has one of the best sliders in the game. And so I think Ty Ross sure is a sleeper. In fact, if you look at what they, we said about him in the baseball forecaster, an upside for Ty Ross, 16 wins, 2.50 ERA, sure possible. This guy could be one of the league's elite starters, especially if he were pitching for a team that's going to get more wins. But 
even even within that, you're looking at a potential uh, elite player in Ty Ross who's falling down a bit in draft because of last season's stats. I think the question here with Tyson Ross, and I agree with everything that you've said and that, that uh, Stephen Nickran reported in his analysis, but the uh, obvious elephant in the room to me here is his control. He just walks too many guys, which has a couple of different effects. First, of course, it directly affects his whip, which over the last couple of years has been in the 120-130 range, which used to be kind of borderline elite, but uh, certainly isn't anymore. We're looking for guys closer to 1 than 1.2, and that's a real problem. And the second problem, Nick, I think, is that it prevents Tyson Ross from getting deep into games. Last year, he had 33 starts. He was walking four guys per nine innings. And as a result of all those walks, his pitch count goes up, and he only had six starts that went past six innings. And when you have that few shots at post-six-inning baseball, that just means you're much less likely to pick up the number of wins you're going to need if you want to be in that elite. And fixing control is not always an easy thing to do. No, it's not. And the thing you look at with Ty Ross, you look at his first pitch strike rate because that's where, that's where a lot of the issue is. It's getting that first pitch over the plate. And in 2013, 54%, 58% in 2014, so that was good, but kind of leveled off last year at 58%. If you can get that first pitch strike rate up a bit and start throwing more strikes initially, I think there's a good chance he could see a breakthrough, but you're absolutely right. Control is the issue, and uh, first pitch strike is a good indication of that. But everything else looks really good. I was really impressed with that 62% ground ball rate. In fact, I traded last year in uh, in the uh, Tout Wars mix to get Tyson Ross on my roster, and maybe that's why he had such a terrible end of the season. Uh, it was disappointing because he was doing everything right and not getting the results. And usually when you're talking about a sleeper, that's the kind of guy you're looking for. Good skills, bad results, uh, usually that gets evened out over time. Uh, staying with the sleeper... Staying with the sleeper idea, Doug Dennis's bullpen buyer's guide looked at some sleeper picks, and one of them, this really surprised me, Nick, I have to say, uh, Chad Qualls is now in Colorado, and Chad Qualls is not the kind of guy you think of as a closer. He's in Colorado. Everything seems to be pointing in the wrong direction. What's Doug's take? Well, Doug, Doug's take on this is, this is interesting. Chad Qualls is, is really a sleeper because he's the kind of guy you could probably pick up as your last pick in a draft, a one-buck sort of guy. But what, what Doug is looking at, his new closer in Colorado is Jake McGee, no question about that. But there certainly is a real possibility that McGee could get traded in season. Uh, I mean, we're, we're looking at a Colorado team that's, uh, that's likely to do the same thing it's done the last few seasons, as that is by, by mid-year or shortly thereafter no longer being a contender. And if that's the case, certainly uh, Jake McGee could go on the trading block. And at that point, you have to start looking at who the options are. One of them is Adam Odovino, who won't be back until mid-season because of injury. Uh, there's some other guys on the roster, but Chad Qualls certainly looks like a real, real potential to pick up some saves at the end of the year in Colorado if anything happens to Jake McGee. And Chad Qualls may be a really good guy for Colorado because we're looking at a guy who's produced ground ball rates of uh, above 60%, 63% in 2013, 60% in 2015, which, of course, is just what you want if you're pitching in Colorado. At the same time, you've got a guy who's done some closing before. He has closing experience. Uh, maybe not as strong in terms of the ERA and whip as, as you would like, but uh, BPV says he's got the skills, 147 in 2014, 145 in 2015. So this is a guy who's got the chops to close if he gets the opportunity. A couple of other candidates, uh, Jason Mott has some closer experience, but he's pretty weak in the strikeout department. Uh, Jairo Diaz uh, was on the list last year, but he really couldn't find the plate at all through 2015, and so looks like a work in progress. 
When we look at Chad Qualsnick, my concern is with something you mentioned, which is his ERA and WHIP. Uh, historically, his expected ERAs have been three or higher, which is not that great for a closer. And and I have another concern, and I, I wonder what you think of this. I look at Chad Qualls' career. He's been pretty much the same guy. He's boosted his uh, DOM rate a little bit over his career. He's improved his command over that time as well a little bit. But in all that time, he's been in the le- in big leagues since 2004, so he's got, what, 12 years in. He's only had one 20-save season. A couple of others in the, like, 12, he's got one 19, but mostly it's 0, 0, 0, 1, 5, a, a 9. If Chad Qualls has all these skills, why is it that every organization he's with seems not to notice? Well, you know, that, that's probably a good question to take a look at it, and you wonder, you wonder why that is. But it's always a matter of opportunity. Maybe it's just that he's been blocked in situations with guys who are more obviously qualified as a closer than Qualls is, because he's not a he's not a kind of a blow them out of the park sort of closer. He doesn't have the the dom rates that are up around nine or ten, uh, but he does have excellent control and always has had excellent control. So I guess what what you look at it maybe from a manager's point of view is some of the traits of a good closer are there, some of them aren't, and that may be the reason that uh, you tend to turn to someone else at uh, at some particular time. Maybe Chad Qualls needs a better agent to go find a team where he can be the closer instead of always being behind somebody else. Perhaps. That might, that might be the answer. Finally, Nick, sticking with this uh, sleeper theme and returning to Stephen Nickrand, who also has the batting buyer's guide column, uh, one of the National Leaguers he likes as a 2016 sleeper is Miami catcher J.T. Rail Muto. I like J.T. Rail Muto. And, you know, the, th- the thing about J.T. Rail Muto is he's a guy that's really sort of under the radar and, what he brings you as a as a um, a hitter is speed, which you cannot find at the catcher position. There's just not a guy out there who can give you 10-10, which he almost did a year ago, 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases, and a, a, an okay batting average. He hit 259 a year ago, uh, XBA of 269. So he's not going to uh, blow you out in terms of batting average, but he may not kill you either. But he may put up some decent stats. And uh, we, we looked at an upside, I think, in the forecast, or maybe a 15-15 guy, and that's something to really look at it for, for a catcher. We're actually projecting 11-12, which is still really good for a catcher. He's going to hit around 260 in all likelihood, expected batting average a little higher than that. But uh, it, I would take that, certainly. Now, the question is, when we talk about sleepers, and we talked about this earlier, the question isn't so much does he have the talent, is what is the talent going to cost you? The idea that the sleeper is going to be delivering a certain amount of value for a certain amount of cost that's way below the value. And do you, do you get the idea just from reading and watching on the web and so forth that maybe JT Real Muto isn't as unknown or poorly known as we think? Yeah, he's one of those guys I think to watch out for in that regard because the, um, uh, you know, you're seeing him pop up, the name pop up more and more. And, and certainly that will change other people's perception and could change the, uh, uh, the overall uh, spot at which, he's being, at which he's being drafted. But you know, going, back to, uh, going back to the Market Pulse column when, when they talked about catchers back a, a ways, uh, ADP was 177, so kind of right in line with our projection, which was 189. So... Not a, a whole lot of difference going on with J.T. Lemuto. He's being drafted kind of late. But if you look at the catchers ahead of him, especially in the National League, you'll find that most of those catchers are American League catchers. So if you're in an NL only league, this guy may be the, the second or third best catcher in the league. 
he was the 12th, uh, 12th or 13th off the board at the Labor Mixed Auction. So I think the word is getting out, and, and something about uh, JT Rio Muto that, is, that jumps off the page at you is those stolen bases. Anybody who's going to be behind the plate and maybe pick you up 10, 12 stolen bases is going to catch people's eyes. So uh, while I endorse the idea of targeting JT Rio Muto, I want to caution anybody who's thinking they're going to get him in the 20th round. It ain't necessarily so. No, I think you're right about that. He looks more like a uh, more like a 10, 11, 12 round kind of guy. Okay, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out again. We do appreciate it. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. All right, thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at baseballhq.com and our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now we're off to the American League and reporting in from spring training in Phoenix, Arizona, the director of news and analysis at baseballhq.com, Jock Thompson. Jock, how's Phoenix treating you so far? Hey, PD, it's really good. Uh, can't complain. First week of spring training. Have seen a lot of fun games. Uh, wish I'd seen more in the American League to date, but uh, it's been fun. It's been fun anyway. Seen anything special you can report on that was interesting or particularly fun? Yeah, uh, I was at the Cubs-Milwaukee uh, game uh, yesterday in Maryvale. It was fun to see that Cubs lineup. Uh, they had uh, Kyle Schwarber leading off, Chris Bryant hitting second, and uh, Jorge Soler batting third. So uh, that's quite a little murderer's row they had at the top, although it was interesting. It was a real low-scoring game when we left in the eighth. It was 2-2. Uh, two to two. Um, saw John Bellar play. He was impressive. Uh, hit a couple of balls to the wall. Got a triple on one of them. And I saw Josh Hader pitch, and he looked really good. Kind of reminds me of how much fun it is to go to first pitch Arizona in the fall, but probably even better. Uh, how's the ticket situation? Um, in Maryvale, it's really easy to get tickets. In fact, it's been fairly easy everywhere except for the, the standard go-to places. Uh, Old Scottsdale Stadium is in such a great location where you can walk to all the restaurants, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, the Giants never have any problems selling tickets, and uh, they were pretty packed, at least in the good seats. Uh, Scottsdale and, uh, and of course, Mesa, the new Cubs stadium, Sloan Park, um, that's a tough ticket. But uh, other than that, you can, uh, you can walk up and, and get good seats anywhere. And by any chance, have you seen the Texas Rangers? I have not. Um, we got here um, just before um, uh, spring training opened. We would normally stop in surprise to see them because they're kind of on the way in for us coming from California, but have not seen them and may not see them. But uh, they've got some interesting situations there, obviously. I was going to say uh, it was quite a surprise to a lot of people that they signed Ian Desmond and then announced that he was going to play the outfield. I mean, he was no shakes as a shortstop, but seems weird that they would uh, take a guy who's not a particularly adroit uh, fielder and then throw him out in a brand new situation not the first time in major league history by any stretch and of course texas has some injury issues with josh hamilton once again on on the shelf uh, rod trusdell covered this whole situation in playing time today and i know you looked at it in playing time tomorrow as well and we've talked about it a little bit here on baseball hq radio earlier on in the year this desmond signing changes a lot of stuff so give us the give us the broad strokes what's going on here yeah i think this surprised a lot of um uh, people um i mean the signing eight million it's not a bad signing for a year but texas has a lot of talent and i think a lot of us who like to watch prospects were hoping they might try to push some of their guys a little bit um, I think the surprising thing about Desmond right now uh, in this particular signing is his his numbers are on the decline. Um, he hit 233 last year, expected batting average of uh, of 230, and none of that was anomalous. He's been going down for a couple of years. All of the accompanying metrics we consider, like contact rate and hard contact index, ground ball rate, they're all heading in in a bad direction. And even his expected power index isn't isn't optimistic. Uh, 
Um, still, with the playing time, we have him at double-digit uh, home runs and stolen bases. Um, if he can get 500 at-bats, and I think that's the interesting question. It is an interesting question. Of course, uh, we have, as I mentioned, you have Josh Hamilton uh, lingering in the wings. I'm not sure exactly how long he's supposed to be out, and if he comes back, how long he'll come back for, and all these kind of things. Uh, so now the, the the next question that pops into my mind is, uh, given all of these other talented outfielders that they have in the organization, Nomar Mazzara, Lewis Brinson, how much rope does Desmond have before they say, you know, Bad idea by us. Let's give one of these kids a shot. Well, yeah, exactly, because Texas is contending this year. Um, Noam Mazar has had a – I know it's only a couple of games, but he's had a red-hot start to the spring. He's He is the most well-rounded of this rookie group, which also includes uh, Joey Gallo. And, and the reason he is is because he has good contact, good power, uh, high minors experience, and he hits from the left-hand side. I could see him moving into a platoon with Desmond if Desmond does not get off to a good start. And if you remember what happened to Desmond last year, he hit 212 over his first 300 at-bats. I'm wondering if if Desmond starts poorly and someone like Mazzara starts off red hot down in AAA, um, they may bring him up and Desmond starts losing at-bats. So um, when we talk about what this does, what this trade does to values, obviously um, – uh, Mazzara's value, Joey Gallo's value, and Brinson's value all take a little bit of a hit, given that given that they're obviously going to be starting in the minors, barring barring injuries. Um, but I'll tell you what, I I might be speculating a little bit on Mazzara if the price is right. I was thinking uh, I had Ian Desmond uh, disastrously for that terrible season last year in my tout mixed league team, and uh, in the second half he was actually pretty good. 276 at-bats, he had 12 homers and 11 steals, and so if you sort of just double his at-bats, you're looking at 25 homers, 22 steals, and a value probably in the mid-20s to high-20s. Is there any chance that maybe there was an injury or something like that going on in the early part of the season that was affecting Desmond's ability to play? Yeah, I think what makes Desmond a sleeper is that he's always he always has that 2020 capability. He's done it in the past, and like you said, he had a very good second half, uh, 12 homers, 11 stolen bases. On the other hand, the thing that troubles me is that that expected uh, power index still in the second half wasn't terrific, um, and his contact rate actually went down uh, 67%. He hit the ball a little harder, still comes in under average uh, with our hard contact index. Um, you've got a very good point. He's going to be undervalued, and now he's going to have both outfield and shortstop eligibility in uh, in 25 leagues real quickly. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. It's it's a real interesting situation in Texas. I like that Desmond boosted his walk rate from 5 to 10% first half to second half last year as well, which uh, indicates maybe he was just being a little more patient after pressing early in the season. Of course, it was a contract year for him too, so maybe he was just trying a little hard. I'm looking at the uh, depth chart at Baseball HQ for Texas. I see names like Justin Ruggiano, Drew Stubbs, James Jones, who came over from Seattle, guys like that. Is there any reason to think that any of them might be a sleeper? Yeah, I think what Texas now has is a whole bunch of outfield depth, and, and honestly, with, with Desmond uh, in the fold now, I think those guys lose almost any value they would have until an injury hits. Jock, one of the things that most fantasy players are always concerned about is catching, and I'd like to talk with you about the state of it for a while, especially looking at the American League West, because that's where you cover uh, in your Playing Time Tomorrow columns. Contrary to all of the teams struggling at catcher, the athletics of all teams don't seem to have that problem. 
No, you're right. They had a, a very good catching tandem last year. Uh, Stephen uh, Voke, he posted a 261 batting average, 17 home runs, 71 RBIs. He, he hit a career high four, 445 at bats. Um, Josh Fegley, his platoon partner, um, a, a right-handed hitter who goes against lefties, he hit 249 with nine homers in, uh, in about 220 at bats. It was backed up by good power metrics. Oakland catchers had the highest OPS in the American League, and they finished second in home runs and RBIs. And their offensive splits, they complement each other perfectly. It, it really does make them a, a well-matched uh, combination. And that's a, an interesting way of approaching it. If you get the pair of them for, say, 7 or 8 bucks, you might end up being better off than splashing out 14 or $15 on one of the name catchers. Yeah, honestly. And, but the interesting situation in Oakland is, is both of them kind of struggled down the stretch uh, with injuries. Uh, Voke, Voke, Stephen Voke wore down. Um, Begley uh, began to slide a little bit in the second half as well. And then he had a concussion late in the season that, uh, that ended his year with about two, three weeks left. Um, Injury-wise, they have some some questions going forward. So, uh, it, and with nothing behind them in the the, gen, the general state of catching what it is, um, Oakland's going to Oakland's going to have to keep um, Vogt fresher. Uh, he, he's he's pretty versatile. He's been able to play first base in the outfield in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if they take him out from behind the plate earlier and more often in the season just to keep his bat in the lineup, which would actually improve Fegley's value if you if you like power and think that he may hit more home runs if he gets a few more at-bats against righties. Do you not think that Vote being on the right side of the platoon gives him enough days off to stay fresh? Um, well, it's interesting. He had 445 at-bats last year, and, and, and when you think about it, that's, a, that's around about what you expect from the left-handed hitter in a platoon, and he really slid in the second half. I mean, if you look at, if you look at, uh, at his numbers, um, he hit 220 with just five home runs after June. Um, he had nagging injuries, wrist, groin, and elbow. He's coming off of elbow surgery. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a little more cautious than this with him this year. He did have 109 at-bats last year against left-handed pitching, so maybe he could, if they took away some of those at-bats and let him focus on the right-handers whom he uh, bashes a lot more effectively, he'd be down around the 350 at-bat mark. Of course, that's going to affect some of his his numbers, but he only had the one home run last year against left-handed pitching. He, his batting average was under 240. So it might be a, a plus if he were to lose all those at-bats. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Vogt is an obvious uh, uh, catching pickup in just about any league. Uh, Fegley's a, a bit more of a question. Um, I, I would still look at him very strongly in two-catcher leagues and deeper leagues. Um, I think he's going to hit double digits in home runs this year. His power indices are very, very good. Um, Oakland has a good situation as long as they can keep these guys healthy. Well, that's one good situation Oakland has. Most of the rest of it looks pretty awful. Uh, staying in the division, uh, and uh, you mentioned that you've seen the Angels play once out there in spring training. Uh, they have some depth issues as far as positions go. Left field doesn't look real solid. Second base might be an issue. The Angels seem to be, boy, one injury. They could be in uh, real trouble. This is something you also mentioned in playing time tomorrow. So is there some sort of opportunity here to, to look at a backup player and uh, keep an eye open? Well, ju- just based on the opportunity in, uh, in, uh, with the Angels this year, spring training should obviously be watched. Uh, I saw them open up against the Giants in Scottsdale on, on Wednesday, um, and, and it was interesting. The lineup was just uh, – Trout wasn't with the team, and when that happens, um, they just – they're terrible. They scored a run 
Um, Angel fans are already slitting their throats uh, looking at this team uh, flail offensively. Um, again, you have to watch spring training just to see if a surprise hitter or two can emerge from the pack and maybe win some playing time to begin the season. But when you look at their left field job, just for example, the platoon of Daniel Nava and Craig Gentry that's projected right now, it's hardly awe-inspiring. They didn't upgrade at second base where Johnny Giovatella remains a suspect defender as well as a guy who could really be challenged to repeat his uh, his empty but at least profitable 272 batting average from 2015 um, you know, there may be a couple of names there that, that are worth watching, but I'm not sure there's anyone worth rostering right now. Of course, a lot depends on league context. Uh, Craig Gentry's not a rosterable commodity and hasn't been for years in mixed leagues, but he's actually be- occasionally been a pretty useful contributor in American League-only formats as a fifth outfielder because of all the stolen bases. And in, in, in a similar way to the Stephen Vogt situation, if Gentry limits his playing time or if the club limits his playing time for him and he just gets in as the occasional pinch runner or some defensive replacement work, platoon uh, on the outfield side, as you mentioned with Daniel Nava, then maybe Craig Gentry could offer you a little value if he steals 20 bases for a dollar. That's absolutely correct. Uh, there was a three-year period in the American League where Gentry, I think, averaged over 20 steals uh, uh, a season. Um, if you take out his stats and isolate them against left-handed pitching against whom, be play- whom he'd be playing, and if he could hit about 270 or above, which is what I think he, he his, his career batting average against lefty, and steal those 20 bases, uh, we all know stolen bases are down a little bit. Uh, he could be valuable in certain leagues. From 2011 to 2014, Jock, you mentioned at 18, 13, 24, 20, and I, I believe at one time there was a stretch where he had, I forget how many, but he had a lot of stolen bases without ever getting caught. And like you said, if he if he's just in the, the right side of platoon, a little pinch running here, I can see him being an earner, even if he's not playing that much, just on the basis of steals alone. Uh, anybody else at second base? You mentioned Juvatel is not a real uh top candidate they got a guy over from seattle g-man Choi. well how does he look it, it was interesting because in the game in scottsdale i i was telling the people we were with giovatella's footwork actually <laughs> looked really really good i was surprised because i watched him a lot last year and he was just awful defensively he looked he looked like he'd been working on this for for uh, uh for the winter so um i'm gonna i'm gonna give him a few more looks before we leave here um G-Man Choi is over from Seattle. He had a very good um, um, early minor league career. I think his batting average, career batting average is uh, 302. He's very patient. Uh, he struggled a little bit. He was suspended for um, 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 PED use uh, over the past year. Um, terrible at the play of the game I saw. Another guy, Jeffrey Marte, over from Detroit. He's somewhat intriguing because of his contact, contact and many power breakthrough-wise last year at AAA. But if you look at hard at his numbers, you, you realize he did all of his damage against left-handed pitching and was pretty hopeless against righties in uh, in AAA and his small sample size in in Detroit. None of these guys should be rostered right now. I'm I'm honestly just grasping at straws. Um, again, I'd be watching these guys in spring training just to just to see how they do and and to try to figure out who the Angels will turn to if they have an injury or left field doesn't turn out. Uh, 
but uh, nobody I would run out and grab right now. And certainly, even if they do come up with somebody, it seems pretty unlikely it's going to be the kind of person that's going to find his way onto a mixed league roster. This We're thinking American League only pretty much for any of these type of players, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We, we really are. American League only or, or very, very deep leagues. We mentioned earlier Josh Hamilton had an injury that'll keep him out of the lineup. Also in Detroit, the outfield has been affected by injury. Cameron Mabin just moved over to the Tigers uh, right away, suffers a non placed fracture of the left wrist he'll be out four to six weeks probably closer to six i heard the other night on sirius xm radio tom kephart touched on this in playing time today looks like anthony ghost blast from the past is going to get another chance to claim the early center field bats while Mabin heals, what do you think is going to go on in the Detroit outfield with Cameron Mabin sitting on the bench watching? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, they went out and got Mabin. They clearly weren't uh, happy with with Ghost, or they were they wanted to hedge their bets. Um, Ghost's year was pretty me- mediocre last year. Now with Mabin's injury, we have both of them projected for around fifty percent of the Detroit center field time. I honestly think this one's a coin flip. Um, both have plenty of baggage. Uh, Mabin's historically injury prone and he's already showing it. He actually stayed healthy and had his best season since 2012 last year with Atlanta. But it was a tale of two halves and he fell apart after June. His contact is decent but soft. He has has very little power, uh, enough speed to steal 20 bases again. Um, Mabin had a better 2015 than Ghost on the strength of what looks like an unrepeatable 10 home runs and his higher batting average Ghost's problem is contact. I think he has more stolen base upside. Um, neither of them, surprisingly, are great defensively anymore, but they're probably the best Detroit has. So I think this is going to depend on who gets hot and who stays healthy. Yeah, boy, the uh, Tigers depend so much on with that big yard on good defensive play in the outfield. And uh, maybe certainly has declined in that regard. Ghost is no spring chicken either. So uh, what about this Tyler Collins I read about? Well, Collins could get reps. Um, he's not really a true center fielder. I, I think they'll try him just because his off- his offensive skills are probably competitive with the other two if you take out the stolen bases. But he's still mediocre, and his defense in center field is going to be a problem. Obviously, center field in the Detroit outfield is, is not their strength right now, and this one just looks like a, a revolving door. And, of course, the ownership has money, is not afraid to spend it, so perhaps there's a, some kind of signing or, or some kind of trade that they'll try to work out. So, uh, yeah, it's a situation we need to keep an eye on. And in keeper leagues, this is the kind of deal where sometimes uh, teams that are rebuilding like to look at a guy like Cameron Mabin and they say, well, he's going to go for nobody's, nobody who's in the running this year in a, in a fantasy league is going to sign Cameron Mabin. And so maybe you can sneak him at the end of the draft for a few bucks in the hopes that maybe next year it gets better. But I don't think Cameron Mabin's career is on the right track in that regard either. No, this is true. The one plus that Mabin has, and actually Mabin and Ghost both has, they're both capable of stealing 20 bases. They did it last year. We're projecting them to do that or near that again this year. So um, in, a, in an era of declining offense and stolen bases, if you need that, there is that. It is something, and another guy who can steal you a base uh, anytime you need one pretty much is Gerard Dyson of Kansas City, and finally he was going to get a chance to get some regular playing time. The the Royals chose not to re-sign Alex Rios and not to sign anybody else from the free agency route, so they're planning to open with a platoon. Jared Dyson and Paulo Orlando, 
Dyson gets hurt in his first game. He's out through at least mid-April. Uh, does Paulo Orlando just inherit all this playing time? What's going to go on in that uh, right field in Kansas City? Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. Injuries always seem to bite the teams where they can least uh, afford it. Kansas City's really thin in the outfield, as one might expect, the way they were planning on opening uh, right field with this with this job share of Dyson Orlando. Paulo Orlando has an odd profile. He showed surprisingly power metrics in his rookie 2015 in uh, 241 at-bats. And he's a decent athlete, but he's never showed this before. He has very little, if any, plate discipline. He's already 30 years old. We have him projected at 75% of the playing time, uh, which gives him almost 500 at-bats right now. But if you look at the the projected numbers, uh, 12 homers, 12 steals, and a 232 batting average, it seems to leave a playing time door open for somebody else. Uh, I'm not seeing who it's going to be, but uh, it, it really raises some questions here. Well, certainly uh, if Dyson comes back, he, he figures to inherit some of the at-bats uh, given his speed. There's an interesting thing about Dyson that I've always thought was remarkable about him was that there was a, a run of four years there where he didn't get 300 at-bats and he didn't get less than 30 stolen bases. So he was kind of a one-trick pony, but in again, in American League-only leagues, uh, a better version of Craig Gentry, really. Not not enough at-bats to really kill you on the batting average, and if you just need that one guy to give you bags in the category, boy, Gerard Dyson was that guy, but again, this year, uh, we don't know how long it's going to be before he gets to play. We don't know how it's going to affect his speed. Oblique injuries are, are core injuries, and they just have an impact all over the body. Uh, what about uh, Travis Snyder? He's been around the major leagues a few years. Does he have any chance of playing time in Kansas City? Yeah, he has. And if, if you look at his um, his efforts recently, this is what his fifth team. Snyder, I mean, he I, I guess because he's a left-handed hitter, he'll 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 get an opportunity. But the recent numbers say, uh, eh. Uh, Raymond Fuentes is kind of interesting. He's a, a career minor leaguer. He has a good running game profile, though, similar to Dyson. He's stolen. Um, over uh, 250 uh, bags in the minors. He's only been caught uh, 50 plus times. That's a, it's well over a, 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 a an 80% uh, um, uh, stolen base success rate. He was uh, 29 stolen bases with six caught stealings last year. But again, this is pretty much a watch and see situation. A lot of watch and see situations at this time of the year, Jock. We really appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk to you next week, of course. Will you still be in Phoenix then? Nope. Going to head home on Sunday. We'll be back in uh, California, and uh, we'll be ready to go there. All right, Jock. Thanks a million. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com. And, of course, he's our man on the American League beat here at the Baseball HQ Radio Podcast. Our commentaries are next. But first, who is this polished executive approaching our microphone? This is Ray Murphy from Baseball HQ reminding you that our First Pitch Forums are back for 2016. Join Ron Chandler, Jock Thompson, Todd Zola, myself, and more of your favorite Baseball HQ radio voices in these three-hour interactive seminars. These entertaining and highly engaging events are designed to give you the information you need to win your fantasy league in 2016. The Baseball Forecaster and BaseballHQ.com are both tremendous resources, but sometimes the best advice is live advice. So join us for a First Pitch Forum event in your area. We even have a special offer for Baseball HQ radio listeners. When registering for a First Pitch event at BaseballHQ.com, just use the coupon code RADIO2016 to save $5 on your admission. That's five bucks off your registration just for listening to Baseball HQ Radio. 
We're looking forward to seeing you live and in person at our first Pitch a Forum events this February and March. This year's tour includes some traditional stops and some new locations. Come out and join us. And you can join Ray and all the other experts this weekend in Houston on Saturday and Atlanta on Sunday. And next weekend in the Washington and Baltimore area, New York, New Jersey, Los Angeles, and Boston, actually Natick, Massachusetts. Get out there. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. We have our commentaries coming up, but first let me tell you about BaseballHQ.com and some of the reasons we call it the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It's because BaseballHQ.com is always ready to keep you ahead of the game in the preseason and all season long with content across a wide range of great information. This week, draft preparation continues with our Buyer's Guides columns looking at sleepers for 2016. In his Facts and Flukes Performance Validation column, analyst Brian Rudd looks at Giancarlo Stanton, Eric Ibar and other players, and in his rotisserie gaming column, Matt Dodge looks at draft preparation with a full season mindset. During the season, BaseballHQ.com has daily matchup reports, a daily fantasy dashboard, there's full team coverage, minor league scouting, and of course, all those projections and roster management tools you can use to help you dominate your league and daily fantasy baseball. And it's all only at the website with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners, BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries. Coming up, we have playing time, frequent flyers, forecaster position profiles, and master notes. And leading it all off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Cleveland prospect Bradley Zimmer is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. News out of spring training that the Cleveland Indians' Abraham Almonte will miss the first 80 games of the season for PED use has created a potential opening for the organization's top prospect, Bradley Zimmer. The 23-year-old Zimmer has the power and speed combination that fantasy owners crave, and in 2015, he hit 273 with 16 home runs and 44 stolen bases between high A and double A. He has a mature approach at the plate and moves well defensively with the ability to play all three outfield positions. Zimmer was slated to play in the Arizona Fall League, but a fractured foot kept him out of action. The Indians publicly are saying that the suspension of El Monte isn't going to speed up Zimmer's timetable but the Tribe don't have a lot of viable options if Almonte's suspension isn't reduced. For now, Rajai Davis is slated to be the opening day starter, but at 35, Davis seems past his prime and will be hard-pressed to match even the modest results from 2015. Watch Zimmer closely this spring. A strong start could convince the Indians to accelerate his timetable. Once he does reach the majors, Bradley Zimmer has the potential to be a 20-30 player who hits for average and gets on base and is a must-own in all AL-only keeper formats. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on the top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. If you get over to the site, make sure you check out the top 100 prospects list and the roundtable discussion among our scouts explaining why they picked, who they picked, and where. If you need to know the prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our Playing Time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or losing those valuable at-bats or innings pitched. 
In this week's edition, Baseball HQ analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the battle for Cleveland's fifth rotation spot and takes a scan of Pittsburgh's first base situation. The Cleveland Indians enter 2016 with one of the best starting trios in baseball, with Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, and Danny Salazar at the top. Trevor Bauer figures to be the number four guy this year, and there's a battle for the fifth slot that'll be settled this spring between Josh Tomlin, Cody Anderson, and potentially TJ House. Josh Tomlin is probably the front runner after an impressive late season run, which he put up a 3.02 ERA with Cleveland over 10 starts last year. It was backed up by excellent skills with a 57 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio and a triple digit base performance value or BPV. Tom, Tomlin rarely cracks 90 on the radar gun though, and he's had several injury problems in the past. He hasn't thrown over 150 major league innings in a season since 2011. That should leave the door open for Cody Anderson at some point in 2016. Anderson had a 3.05 ERA over 15 starts in 2015, but unlike Tomlin, the skills did not support this type of performance. Anderson's expected ERA was a run and a half higher at 4.5, and he had just a 1.8 strikeout to walk ratio. Anderson's just 25, but as the baseball forecaster noted, we may have already seen his best performance unless the skills improve in a big way. And in really deep leagues, don't overlook TJ House. House is probably a forgotten man given his shoulder woes in 2015, but he's in the mix this spring for that last spot in the rotation, and he features an excellent ground ball rate with swing and miss stuff. In 102 innings in 2014, House posted a 3.05 expected ERA, 3.6 strikeout to walk rate, and a 61% ground ball rate. The injury risk is there, but House will cost next to nothing and has the skills to post a profit if he can grab that fifth roll. So expect Tomlin to start the year in Cleveland's fifth spot in the rotation, and instead of chasing Cody Anderson's surface stats from last year, speculate on TJ House as he offers much more profit potential. To the National League, we go to Pittsburgh, where it looks like we'll see a platoon at first base between Michael Morse and John Jaso to start the season, with Jaso facing right-handed pitching. Jaso flashes an excellent plate approach with quietly developing power skills over the last two seasons, but he's a major injury risk as he's only hit 300 at-bats just once since 2010. Morse is now in his mid-30s and will look to revive his career in Pittsburgh, but the skills are trending in the wrong direction as his 79 power index was well below average in 2015 and was the lowest of Morse's career, while his contact rate also dipped below 70% as well. Justin Rogers is probably the top choice as a potential early season fill-in for the fragile Morse-Jaso platoon, and Rogers' power potential makes him worth monitoring as he posted a 129 expected power index and his 20 homer upside according to this year's baseball forecaster. Rogers was acquired from Milwaukee this offseason. The 28-year-old has little left to prove in the minors with the bat, so he's likely the next man up in Pittsburgh. For Keeper League owners, and for those of you planning ahead later this season or in draft and hold leagues, look for Josh Bell to potentially be in the mix this summer as well. Bell was ranked as the team's number three prospect and also placed 55th overall in our minor league baseball analyst annual, and he'll likely start the season in AAA. Bell's plate approach is extremely solid, which bodes well for an early impact, but he has just 16 homers over the last two seasons combined, so we may need to wait for Bell's power to develop. So look for JSO to provide some cheap value in NL-only leagues if he can stay healthy, while Justin Rogers and Josh Bell are names to tuck away should an injury hit JSO and Morse, which is likely to happen at some point in 2016. 
For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every week. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available at low cost or in a late round this year at draft, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are Cincinnati catcher Devin Mazarako and Texas right-hander Connor Sadzek, and here to tell you more about them is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. First angels of the outfield, now catchers in the outfield? You already know about Kyle Schwarber and perhaps even Kevin Pilecki, but who is the latest catcher who will likely qualify for ball-shagging duty in the outfield? In this week's edition of Frequent Flyers, will profile two players. A catcher will likely qualify in the outfield as well as a keeper-sleeper, a minor leaguer in the Rangers system who can throw over 102 miles per hour. But first, why do we talk about National League catchers who also qualify in the outfield or at other positions? Sure, part of it is because there's no designated hitter rule in the National League, which allows catchers like Kansas City's Salvador Perez to compile at-bats on off days. But consider this. Of the 13 National League catchers with 100 or more at-bats in 2015, only two catchers, Buster Posey of the Giants and Derek Norris of the Padres, compiled more than 500 at-bats for the season. That translates to 623 plate appearances for Buster Posey and 557 plate appearances for Derek Norris. In other words, Buster Posey had 623 opportunities and Derek Norris had 557 opportunities to generate fantasy production for your team in 2015. We also know the impact that Kyle Schwerber is having on many drafts this season. In the FBC alone, Schwerber has been taken as high as 11th it has an ADP of 32, or early third-round value in 15-team mixed leagues, mainly because he will see at-bats as an outfielder, but also qualifies as a catcher. It was also recently announced that Mets backstop Kevin Pilecki may see time in the outfield, and Travis Darno, his counterpart, might see time at first base. So who is the latest catcher who will likely qualify in the outfield? It's Devin Mesoraco of the Cincinnati Reds. Mesoraco, coming off a hip injury that sidelined him for all but 23 games of the 2015 season, batted 273 with 25 home runs in 2014 to lead all National League catchers in the home runs that year, including Buster Posey and Evan Gaddis, who each finished with 22 round trippers in 2014. To put that in perspective, Mesoraco's linear weighted power index in 2014 was 192, or approximately 92% better than the league average, where 100 represents the league average and 150 and above are considered the slugging elite according to BaseballHQ.com. In fact, Dev Mesoraco tied Matt Kemp, Marlon Byrd, and Andrew McCutcheon for 8th in the National League in home runs in 2014. Will that happen again in 2016? Well, Mesoraco still projects to have above-average power, according to BaseballHQ.com, it's important to remember that Devin Mesoraco, like all of our frequent flyers, are log shots who may be flying under the radar in your league or in your draft. Although Mesoraco may be somewhat of a log shot to lead all National League catchers into home runs this season, especially coming off an injury, grab him if you can. National League catchers who also qualify at other positions may go fast this season. Speaking of fast, have you heard about Connor Sadzak? Holy cow! 
Reports of Sadzik throwing 102 miles an hour in the Arizona Fall League have created enough buzz that the Rangers added him to the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Although he hasn't played a game above AA and his 961 ERA at AA will be dismissed by many, it should be noted that Connor Sadzik missed the entire 2014 season after undergoing Tommy John surgery. So, it's not surprising that his control may have been a little bit off in his first season back. Plus, his 961 ERA at Frisco represents only 7 relief appearances and 19.2 innings pitch total. Looking at his career minor league totals going back to 2012, Connor Sadzek has a dom of 7.1 in the minors, where we look for pitchers to have a dom of 7.0 or better. His command ratio in the minors of 1.4 shows that work still needs to be done. As mentioned before, part of this may be due to recovery from Tommy John surgery, and part may be because of lack of a secondary offering, although he is still working on his breaking ball and his curve. His 4.8 control rate also shows that he may not be quite major league ready. He may not even be relevant in 2016, but he's one to keep your eye on, especially keeper leagues. And if you want your team to be relevant in 2016 and beyond, keep an eye on Devin Mesoraco and Connor Sadzek, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and our frequent flyers commentator here on Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's our forecaster position profile report. The baseball forecaster annual includes extensive tools and cheat sheets to help you get ready for draft. And during the preseason, Baseball HQ Radio will be letting you in on how the positions shape up from those forecaster lists. Players are rated in tiers with elite at the top, then gold, then stars, then regulars, mid-level, bench, and fringe. Here with a look at National League outfielders is Greg Fishwick. In our opening discussion of outfielders from the American League last time, we contrasted the reality of statistical scarcity with the perception of position scarcity. We recommended dealing with statistical scarcity by aggressively acquiring outfielders who are productive in multiple categories. I must report that the National League outfield situation is super shaky. There's some good news from the top tiers, and in mixed leagues you can still lean on American League outfielders, but in an NL-only league, you face the double whammy reality show of both statistical scarcity and position scarcity in the outfield. We'll show you a way to expand the pool slightly, but our advice is to double down on our recommended strategy. We've shown that the most productive multi-category hitters come from the outfield because the majority of stolen bases come from outfielders. We've also emphasized that players with higher reliability grades for health, experience, and consistency make better targets. So you want reliable multi-category outfielders, and you need more outfielders than any other hitting position on your roster. That's why you must be extremely aggressive in building your outfield. The top two tiers in the 2016 Baseball Forecaster Universal Draft Grid include 26 outfielders. The good news is that 14 of them are from the National League, and four of those have high reliability grades. Starling Marte and Ben Revere from the Elite Tier, and Jason Hayward and Billy Hamilton from the Gold. But neither Revere nor Hamilton contributes any power, and our man on the National League Central beat, Brian Rudd, wrote Friday that Hamilton could lose playing time to Jose Peraza in center field. 
But you'll be behind the eight ball if you don't have at least one of those fine 14. So be ready to pair a speed guy with a power guy. And if you want to try for two, take a chance on the unreliable grades of Matt Kemp. Meanwhile, make note of your best stealth target, David Peralta. So much for the so-called good news. The bad news is that unlike the American League's more plentiful 27 outfielders in the next two tiers, the National League has only 16 stars and regulars. You should have a decent shot at one of them in a 12-team league, and the senior circuit boasts all four stars with high reliability grades. Dexter Fowler, returning to the Cubs, Christian Yelich, being coached by Barry Bonds, Gregory Polanco, entering his second full season, and Enders Inciarte, becoming a starter. The conditions of scarcity make it seem almost reasonable to take a chance on stars Yasiel Puig, who faces a possible suspension for domestic violence, Carlos Gonzalez, whose first 40 home run season last year may make him too expensive this year, despite his inherent injury risk. Denard Spann, coming off a concussion, a back injury, and hip surgery that may depress his price as much as going to AT&T will suppress his home runs. And Jay Bruce, whose low batting average may be more a matter of luck and leg injury than the defensive shift against him. In the tier of regulars, the only potential National League outfielder with high reliability grades is free agent Austin Jackson. Again, the scarcity circumstances make nearly every outfielder in this tier a target. Gerardo Parra may be overvalued coming into Coors, but Curtis Granderson is a real asset in OBP leagues. Bump up youngsters Randall Gritchick, Michael Conforto, Michael Taylor, Jorge Soler, and Marcelo Zuna. And realize you don't have the luxury of turning up your nose at oldsters Matt Holliday and Jason Wirth. Also, there are three regulars eligible at outfield who play other primary positions. So expand your pool here by targeting Ben Zobrist, Josh Harrison, and even Yasmani Tomas. With reliable multi-category outfielders hard to find, don't even think about an outfielder for your UT slot. You'll have to target corner infielders for that. Even if you're shrewd enough to land one elite or gold outfielder and one star or regular, you're still left with three holes to fill. So again, expand your mid-level pool with a couple of targets from outfield-eligible hitters who play at different primary positions. There are four to choose from. Kyle Schwarber, Will Myers, Brandon Moss, and Enrique Kiki Hernandez. But Schwarber will be overvalued because of his catcher eligibility and big power, while his playing time is at risk and he'll hurt you in at least two categories so he's not worth the cost. And Hernandez is an unproven utility man who we project for only half-time play. Myers has an F and two D grades for his reliability scores, so he should be undervalued. And Petco is not as pitcher-friendly as it once was, just ask Kemp. Moss had good reliability grades prior to his hip surgery, and he'll be undervalued after a subpar season plus plenty of competition at first base in St. Louis. The only other mid-level outfielder with all B's or above on his reliability report card is free agent Marlon Byrd. The other two mid-level National League outfielder targets are Domingo Santana and Steven Piscotti. After that, it's pick a Dodger, any Dodger. Andre Ethier, Jock Peterson, or Carl Crawford. And if you're getting desperate, there are even two more Dodgers at the bench level, Scott Van Slyke or Alex Guerrero. Outfield eligibles who play other positions from the bench level and make decent targets are Ben Paulson, Darren Ruff, Derek Dietrich, Cody Ashey, and Kelly Johnson. If you need a fringe outfielder for your final slot, your last hope may be John Jay. To review, in the National League outfield you face the double whammy of both statistical scarcity and position scarcity. 
You can expand the pool with 10 hitters from other positions, but you're unlikely to get an outfield full of the full-time multi-category contributors found in the American League. As a result, you need to be even more aggressive. Combining the elite and gold tiers, there are 14 outfielders available and 11 prime targets. You need to land one of them. Combining stars and regulars, there are 16 non-free agent outfielders available. Under the circumstances, you need to make all of them targets. Expand your outfield pool with three outfield eligible regulars from the other position pools and roster at least two of those 19, which may require taking on some risk. The mid-level is the last targetable tier with just 10 National League outfielders who are not free agents. But there are only two outfield eligibles to add to the mere two targets found here. So this is the toughest tier challenge, as you want one of those four. Then you can snatch your final outfielder from the five bench and one fringe targets remaining. It's a sad Super Tuesday when the best news you can hope for is that both Austin Jackson and Marlon Byrd have signed with National League teams. Worse, it will take one of them doing so just to bring the total pool of useful National League outfielders up to 60, which would provide five outfielders for each of 12 teams. We hope this position preview helps you build your auction budgets or plan your draft rounds for National League outfielders. Next week, we'll start looking at starting pitchers. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and here at Baseball HQ Radio during the regular season. He's also providing us with these forecaster position profiles during spring training. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. This week, I want to talk to you about fantasy strategies. At this time of the year, we're going to start seeing a lot of website articles, SiriusXM discussions, and podcast commentaries about the best strategies for our drafts and auctions. Just in the last few days, I saw a web article headlined, When to Start the Closer Run, more a tactic than a strategy really, and the Over 30 All-Star Strategy. Of course, if you've been around fantasy baseball for any length of time, you've probably heard lots of strategies. Stars and scrubs is a famous strategy, so is spread the risk. All left-handers, that's a strategy. Punting a category is a strategy. No player over $29 is a strategy I've heard about. No player under $10 is a strategy. And Labadini, the $9 pitching staff, is a strategy. Fantasy baseball has seen more strategies than Kanye West has IOUs. And all of the strategies have something in common. They don't work. Or, to be more accurate, they only work if all your opponents at the table cooperate to benefit you, which is kind of like a defense strategy for the Korean Peninsula that only works if Kim Jong-un cooperates. There's a famous Mike Tyson line about boxing. It usually gets quoted as, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. This isn't quite accurate, as I'll mention later, but it's a pretty good summary of the problem with fantasy baseball strategies. Your opponents will, and I emphasize will, punch you in the face. Sometimes they'll do it on purpose. They'll see your strategic goals, and they'll try to mess you up by drafting or auctioning the players you need. More often, they'll mess up your strategy just because they happen to want the same players you do, for their own reasons, and turns out they can outdraft you or outbid you for those players. Think about stars and scrubs for a second. It's a great strategy, but only if all the other teams in your league agree not to do it. If the other teams are also stars and scrubsing it, then the law of the market says the prices will go up because of demand on the stars and the scrubs. Theoretically, then the bargains would fall to the middle for the spread the riskers. But if there's also a bunch of them, they'll bid up the middle tier players. It's a mugs game. 
Or take another example this over-30 all-star strategy I mentioned earlier. The article suggests targeting these players. Catcher Brian McCann, first baseman Miguel Cabrera, second baseman Robinson Cano, third baseman Josh Donaldson, shortstop Troy Tulowitzki, outfielders Jose Bautista, Chris Davis, and Nelson Cruz, rotation ace Max Scherzer, and closer Frankie Rodriguez. Now all you have to do is go get those eight players, even though five of them went in the first two rounds of the labor mixed draft. You have to wait for all your opponents not to participate in buying them. Their HQ 5x5 projections add up to $207, leaving you the grand sum of $53 to get 15 additional players, including five or six more starting pitchers and another closer or two. And still, it all still depends on your opponents tacitly, even subconsciously, agreeing not to punch you in the face by bidding past the HQ values on any of these players or jumping in early based on ADPs. So... Will Josh Donaldson go for 29 bucks in your leagues? Will $25 land Robinson Cano? Not mine either. In fact, even though this Over 30 Players article had the word strategy in the title, I'm pretty sure it wasn't intended to be an actual strategy. It was more like a, these older guys might be undervalued in some leagues, so keep your eyes open kind of an article. There was one genuine strategic breakthrough in fantasy baseball. Many years ago, Ron Chandler noticed a market valuation inefficiency in 4x4 fantasy with non-closer relief pitchers. Out of that observation, Chandler created the Lima Plan, a strategy designed to exploit the fact that he could buy a few $1 high-skill relievers who would give him good ERA and whip, then spend the resulting savings on outspending everybody in hitting and still having enough to get some decent pitchers. It actually worked for a while. Ron won a lot of leagues. But again, other owners started seeing it, using it, punching each other in the face over those Lima relievers, and the advantage just evaporated. We haven't seen the like of the Lima plan since, and I'm going to bet we never will. So, is there an applicable strategy for fantasy baseball in this modern era? Yes, I believe there is, but it's not really so much a strategy as an approach, accepting and applying common sense. 1. Know what players are available, right down to the bottom of the pool. 2. Know what every player is worth, although even here you're going to see some profound disagreements about precision. They're very successful fantasy champions like Larry Schechter and Tristan Cockroft, who advocate valuing players to the penny while Chandler, Todd Zola, and others say this level of granularity is pointless given the variabilities of the game and human performance. 3. Know why your players are worth what they're worth. 4. Know your opponents as best you can. And 5. And for sure, know the league rules and its history and what it takes to win. When many fantasy owners say they're looking for a strategy, they mean something more like a shortcut or a gimmick. But there are no shortcuts, and gimmicks only work if you get lucky. Remember that Mike Tyson quote from earlier? It's not quite accurate, and it's not quite complete. A few years ago, Tyson gave a fuller telling of the story to the fine columnist Mike Berardino of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Iron Mike said, Everybody has a plan until they get hit. Then, like a rat, they stop in fear and freeze. But he went on, and he said, If you're good, and your plan is working, somewhere during the duration of that, the outcome of that event you're involved in, you're going to get the wrath, the bad end of the stick. 
Let's see how you deal with it. Normally, people don't deal with it that well. So there's your winning strategy. Know your stuff. Play what the table gives you. Have a plan, but be ready to get punched in the face. And when you do, deal with it well. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, the Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 4th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number six of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. Of course, I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com. It's the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute analyst was Rob Gordon. Our Playing Time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. Our Frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky. And our Forecaster Position Preview Analyst was Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt. Hope you enjoyed Master Notes this week, and I hope to see you soon on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. I also have a Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. Feel free to follow me, and please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available and you can stay in touch with the show. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday when our Tuesday Tout guest expert will be Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.